Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty on all counts on Friday, and the left is not taking it well. Troy Gaston, a BLM leader in Chicago, summed up the response. I want y'all to make some noise for being survivors, man. For having the courage, for having the courage to come back out here when the system told us that we do not have a voice. Because if you come out here under these situations, we will be shut down. That's what the verdict was all about. It was telling us to be silent under the threat of complete violence. Say hell no! Hell no! Hell no! Today, we come out here simply to be recognized as people who deserve to live and be treated with equity and respect. Does anybody believe that BLM is not treated with respect? That BLM is not recognized? If BLM is not treated with equality, that is only because it is given deferential treatment. BLMers get plea deals and dismissal of charges for spending six months looting and burning cities coast to coast. Meanwhile, horn hat wearing goofballs rot in solitary confinement for making a mess of Nancy Pelosi's office. But in this case, in the Rittenhouse case, the evidence was so weak that even a unified liberal establishment could not succeed in sending a teenager to jail for killing a serial child rapist in self-defense. So what does BLM want now? We wait for the federal government to charge Rittenhouse with first-degree murder. If you don't win at the state level, take it to the federal. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. The right is celebrating a victory for the rule of law, which the persistent left is already back at work to undermine. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Brian Boggs, who says, the prosecutors can take comfort in the fact that we all take a beating sometimes. That's true. <laughs> that was one of their arguments in the case. And they just got beaten. Sorry, buddy. But you know, we all take a beating sometimes. One way that we're all very often getting beat is when big tech comes in and takes all of our data and spies on us and, and has a lot of information. So how do you protect yourself against that? You check out ExpressVPN. Chances are the browser you're using right now has made its fortune by tracking your movements online. So I have a feeling if you're listening to this show, maybe sometimes you use that, that incognito window, you know, you, you want to hide something. You're looking at some dubious websites like dailywire.com. You know what I'm talking about? Well, incognito does not mean invisible. All right. How do you actually make yourself as invisible as possible online? You use ExpressVPN like I do. You've got to make sure that your online activity is not getting tracked. These data brokers are going out and buying and selling your data. One of the data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. Best of all, ExpressVPN is super duper easy to use. One button, use it on your phone, on your, on your tablet, on your laptop. If you really want to go incognito for real, protect your privacy with the number one rated VPN in America. Go to expressvpn.com slash Michael. Get three extra months for free. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Michael. Expressvpn. 
Facebook.com slash Michael to learn more. Breaking news right now, breaking news this morning out of Waukesha, Wisconsin. Uh, there was a parade in Waukesha and someone drove an SUV speeding down the parade trying to kill as many people as possible by all appearances. Five people are dead. 40 people are injured. Uh, there is footage. We're not going to play it. It's very difficult to watch, and I don't think there's any reason to play it. Uh, Andy No, right now, who has done a great job exposing militant leftist groups, Antifa and BLM, Andy No is reporting that the suspect who is arrested is a BLM supporter. He's a young black male. He's apparent, his social media is apparently riddled with uh, pro-BLM, George Floyd riot types of posts. Uh, he, he reportedly, again, not just from Andy No, but other outlets are reporting that he was out on a $1,000 bail earlier this week for an earlier crime. And so because of the compassionate policy of letting criminals off the hook, now five people are dead at least and 40 people are injured. We don't know for certain that he was a BLM supporter, but the attack did take place an hour outside of Kenosha. The, it, it would appear at least that there is some connection there, but the, the cops have, are quiet about this. So we don't, we don't have any confirmed information yet. Very difficult to believe that this was an accident. Doesn't look like an accident at all. More, more from the mostly peaceful crowd. Meanwhile, CNN, CNN, we'll, we're going to hold off reporting more on that until, until more information is available. Meanwhile, CNN has this headline. There's nothing more frightening in America today than an angry white man. There it is. There it is. You, you awful white man. I'm sure some of you in the audience, at least, are white men. Some of you are probably pretty angry hearing that headline. Well, you're the most dangerous person in America, according to John Blake, some race hustler at CNN. Now, there are a lot of problems with this headline. The first one is, it's just not true. Okay. It's offensive. It's racist. It's mean spirit. It's, it's divisive. Sure. It's also just not true. Here we have a report from the U.S. Department of Justice, Office of Justice Programs, Bureau of Justice Statistics. This is from January, 2021. Here's is race and ethnicity of violent crime offenders and arrestees 2018. Here is the first sentence of the first paragraph. In 2018, based on data from the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Program, black people were overrepresented among persons arrested for non-fatal violent crimes and for serious non-fatal violent crimes relative to their representation in the U.S. population. White people were underrepresented. White people accounted for 60% of U.S. residents, but 46% of all persons arrested for rape, robbery, aggravated assault, and other assault, and 39% of all arrestees for non-fatal violent crimes, excluding other assault. Hispanics, regardless of their race, were overrepresented among arrestees for non-fatal violent crimes, uh, excluding other assault relative their, to their population, or representation in the U.S. population. So, and not angry white men. Angry white men, basically the least likely to... Uh, attack you. Now, what the left will say is, well, Michael, those statistics by definition are only uh, representing people who are arrested for these crimes. So it might be the case that white people are committing a gazillion murders. They're just not getting arrested for it. In order to believe that, you need to believe that there is some conspiracy either of black victims or white victims or Hispanic victims or any kind of victims who are all colluding together not to report certain crimes to the police uh, because they don't want white men to get in trouble. In order to believe that, you have to believe that, for instance, the New York Police Department, which is majority minority, right? It's not, not majority white. 
uh, is colluding just to uh, make, make sure that white people don't show up in the crime statistics. But of course, that's not the case. Okay, so the first part of the headline that's, that's false is the headline, right? I mean, the, or rather, the first, first part that's wrong about the headline is just that it isn't true. Here's a quote from it. This angry white man has been a major character throughout U.S. history. He gave the country slavery, the slaughter of Native Americans, and Jim Crow laws. Again, that's not true. The white man didn't give the country slavery. He didn't create slavery. Slavery was practiced in Africa long before the white man ever got there and was practiced long after the white man left or after the transatlantic slave trade. Not just Africa. Slavery is practiced everywhere in the world outside of the West. The unique thing about the West is not that we created slavery. It's that we abolished slavery. That's, that's what's unique about the West. The slaughter of Native Americans. Native Americans were slaughtering one another long before the white man ever got here, okay? And the slaughter continued after the white man arrived. Just a few years before Columbus's arrival in the Americas, the Aztecs slaughtered 80,000 people in four days at the consecration of Tenochtitlan. That's just one Native American nation. Just one among many, many, many. And Jim Crow laws. Okay, I guess the white man did that. One out of three. One out of three. Now, what's more interesting about this headline to me than just the race hustling, which is so typical of CNN, and yes, it's obviously ridiculous, but whatever. What's more interesting than that to me is the victim mentality. You saw that actually in the video from, from Kenosha where that other race hustler had justice for victims, or I'm sorry, the video was from Chicago, but it was about what was going on in Kenosha. It said, justice for victims. Although right now there is a revolt against Western civilization and really what you'd call Christendom, right? Christianity. The concern for victims is exclusively a creation of Judaism and Christianity. The concern for victims, taking the side of victims does not exist in non-Jewish and non-Christian cultures. Okay, you see it uniquely in the Bible. And then it finds its fullest expression in Christianity through the passion of Christ, where not only are we take not only does God take the side of the victims, but God actually is the victim here and takes the side of the victims. Right? This is a, an idea uh, that that was expounded upon by a, a sociologist by the name of René Girard, who died only recently. He was at Stanford. And he he has this idea that the, at the heart of, of culture is rivalry, mimetic rivalry, that we, that we kind of imitate one another. And because of this, we end up killing one another. We end up in a state of war of all against all. This is why all the stories about the creation of civilization tend to involve brothers, right? Romulus and Remus, Cain and Abel, these two mirrors of one another that, that become more and more uh, rivalistic. And then eventually this leads to a murder. And, and in, when you take it beyond just one person against one person, you see it in scapegoating. The idea that the only way for the, the culture, the society to resolve all of this tension is to scapegoat someone. L- literally, the scapegoat would be to put all of the evils and all of the sins onto a goat and then send the goat out into the wilderness. Or to just attack one group of people or to attack one person. And the trick about scapegoating is you never know when you're the one doing it. <laughs> when you're scapegoating, you always think that you're completely justified and you're on the, we, we all do this. You never are aware of that. And what the left isn't aware of right now is that they are scapegoating in the law, in the media, in the culture. They are scapegoating. The straight white male is the cause of all the evils in the world, according to them. And they think, they think preposterously 
that they're on the side of justice. When all this political craziness, it really makes you want to have some tangible assets, which is why I would recommend you check out Acre Gold. Inflation is going through the roof. A great way to hedge against inflation is physical gold. And Acre will let you subscribe to physical gold bars for as little as 30 bucks a month. Now, what you're thinking is, I thought, I thought physical gold cost more than 30 bucks. Yeah, it does. But Acre has this ingenious way of investing where you subscribe to the gold bars, you send in 30 bucks a month. When your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they will discreetly ship Acre Gold to your house. They also have a $100 a month subscription to a five gram gold bar if you want to up the ante a little. I've always enjoyed investing in physical precious metals. Okay, I've enjoyed investing in Acre Gold. Go check it out. Go to getacregold.com slash Knowles. K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to that URL because Acre is giving away a gold bar. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore Acre. That is getacregold.com slash Knowles. K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. Nicole Hannah-Jones. She is the fabulist behind the 1619 Project at the New York Times. She's the one who, who pushed this now mainstream thesis that America was founded to defend slavery. It's completely without evidence. Actually, the New York Times had to admit that the central thesis was BS, but it doesn't matter. They keep promoting it anyway, and now it's made its way into schools. So for Nicole Hannah-Jones, everything, every single thing must be the fault of white people and white supremacy. So after the Rittenhouse verdict, she tweeted out, quote, in this country, you can even kill white people and get away with it if those white people are fighting for black lives. This is the legacy of 1619. Nicole Hannah-Jones knows that she can't say that Kyle Rittenhouse killed black people because he didn't kill any black people. And the media tried to present it as though that were the case. But the only people that Kyle Rittenhouse shot were white people. So, she, so Nicole Hannah-Jones, in order to make her theory fit, she needs to make those white people that Rittenhouse killed into black people or into avatars of black people. Now, all the white people that Rittenhouse killed were trying to kill Rittenhouse. Beyond that, one of the people Rittenhouse killed was a serial child rapist. Another guy that Rittenhouse killed beat women in his own family. I think he beat his own mother. I mean, these are people who are so cartoonishly evil that if you turned it into a Hollywood producer and you said, hey, here's the, the Kenosha story and this kid is going to kill a, you know, a child rapist and a mother beater and all these, the, the producer would look at you and say, that's a little too on the nose, buddy. Come on. That's a little ridiculous. There's no way. But what is astounding to me is not that in this country you can, you can even kill white people and get away with it if they're fighting for black lives, the legacy of 1619. What's astounding to me is that in this country, journalists will lament the death of a serial child rapist who was shot while trying to kill a 17-year-old because that's the legacy of the 1960s, right? That's the legacy. And what it, what it comes out of, it gets back to this idea of the, the victim mechanism. The left wants to take the side of the victim. I want to be as charitable as I can to the left. They think they're taking the side of the victim. They think the victim is black people and brown people and women and people who have different sexual desires and the marginalized and the oppressed and whatever, right? So that's, they're taking the side of the victim against the evil white man who's the cause of all the evil in the world. Christianity, right? The prevailing society. 
And Christianity too is taking the side of the victims. Any concern for victims that anyone has ever had in the world (laughs) comes out of Christianity, comes out of Christian culture. And so now you've got these two rivals. And actually, this sociologist, Rene Girard, makes the point that wokeism, he doesn't call it this because it was a little too early, but what he's referring to is wokeism or political correctness is a kind of mirror of Christianity. And now they too are locked in a kind of rivalry. And, and the, 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 the problem of this, of course, is you can never see that you are the one scapegoating people. So, so Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is a very prominent person, she's maybe not a very intelligent person, or a very serious, but she's very prominent. She can actually twist herself into a logical pretzel to say that a white kid shooting a couple of white criminals who were trying to shoot him or trying to kill him more broadly, one was trying to shoot him, that somehow that is an example of white supremacy. This is critical race theory. We talk about critical race theory and it's, it seems like this very nebulous concept. What everything is critical race theory or the left says nothing is critical race theory. So Winsome Sears, who, who just became the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, she was running uh, along with Glenn Youngkin. Uh, Winsome Sears, a black woman herself, just went on CNN and and encountered the line that we're all encountering about critical race theory. This is the official party line of CNN, namely, critical race theory is not being taught in schools. And she says that's bunk. You oppose critical race theory being taught in schools, which I should say is not part of Virginia's curriculum. Uh, You did say, though, that the good and the bad of American history should be taught and Uh, that we should also tell viewers, you're the former vice president of the Virginia Board of Education. So explain how you think race should be taught in Virginia public schools. Well, let me back up. I beg to differ that CRT is not taught. I didn't say that. I just said it's not in the curriculum, just to be clear. No, 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 no. It is part of the curriculum. It's weaved in and out of the curriculum. In fact, in 2015, former governor, uh, who was just defeated, McAuliffe, his state board of education had information on how to teach it. So it's weaved in. So, you know, it's semantics, but it's weaved in. So love this. She won't let CNN get away with this. CNN says, beep, boop. Beep, beep, boop. No critical race theory in schools, in Virginia schools. Beep, 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 boop. I'm I'm a talking head on CNN. And then... The person they're talking to is the former vice president of the Virginia school board. So she says, actually, uh, CNN lady, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I worked in this very closely and absolutely critical race theory is being taught in Virginia schools. And we just won an election because of that. And then the CNN lady is smart enough to know that she's not going to be able to win the point. She's not going to be able to refute that fact with Winsome Sears. So she says, well, no, no, no. I, I didn't say it's not being taught. I said it's not in the curriculum, which is a distinction without a difference. Even the point, the the side point she's trying to make, even the retreating point she's trying to make is not true. The curriculum is the schedule of things that are taught. If something is taught, it is in the curriculum. Well, no, it's just some one random teacher saying something. That's what the left might say. No, it's just some teacher going off script. No, it's not. It's being taught as a part of the program. It is in the curriculum, which is what Winsome Sears is saying. And 
with, the way the left tries to get away with this line is they say, well, there's no unit of critical race theory. It's not as though students are taught, okay, now we're going to learn about the American Revolution, and now we're going to learn about you know, the Enlightenment, and now we're going to learn about critical race theory, and now we're going to learn about calculus, right? It's not, that's not how it's taught. But that's not what critical race theory is. Critical race theory isn't a specific academic, uh, it's a, it is a movement. It's not a specific academic field or, or uh, unit. It is a, an analytical framework. So it's, it's not taught as just one thing. Critical race theory is a lens through which you view all the other things. So no, you're not going to spend two weeks learning critical race theory. You're going to spend a whole school year learning critical race theory as it pertains to history, as it pertains to literature, as it pertains to economics, as it pertains to everything. And that's what Winsome Sears has to say. It's much worse. Don't let them tell you that there's no lesson on critical race theory in schools. It's much worse than that. It's in all of the lessons. Critical race theory says that everything about America is hopelessly rotten because it is all formed by white supremacy. And so everything about America, the culture, the tastes, the history, the military movements, the the form of government, the form of economics, it's all hopelessly, irredeemably rotten because of white supremacy. And it's all got to be ripped out by the root. And beyond that, if, if you can get the left to admit that critical race theory does play some role in the education, as that CNN lady started to have to admit, the next thing they'll tell you is that you as a parent have no right to stop it. This was another, another this was a, a really great weekend for dumb columns on legacy media outlets. There was a piece that went up on NBC. This is by Christina Wyman, who is the author of some some new novel, and she's, a, a, I guess, an educator. She's a former, at least a former middle school teacher, and she's, she has very strong views on, on the role that parents should have in their kids' education. She really thinks that parents should have no role. And so she published on NBC what I think, it, I don't want to be hyperbolic here. It, it might be the dumbest thing I've ever read. And, and I read a lot of really, really dumb things. This might be, this might take the cake. The headline is, schools face parents who want to ban critical race theory and don't get how teaching works. So it's not that they don't get what critical race theory is. It's not that they don't get how the, how the schools are ordering their curricula. It's that they don't get what teaching is. Subheader, an educator's top goal is to teach students to think. Parents who dictate curricula with their personal opinions, ideologies, and biases hinder that goal. Forget about teachers who, who uh, imbue the curricula with their opinions, ideologies, and biases. That, uh, it's the parents who have any say over what is taught. They are a threat to education. Got to watch out how these people use language. Like, for instance, a lot of times at the grocery store, uh, ranchers will use this language, you know, made in America or USA meat, and it, it won't really be that. It'll actually be meat that's imported from... Uh, say Latin America, and then they just slap a USA label on it. Don't get tricked. Check out the good ranchers. Since 2015, over 100,000 independent farms and ranches in the U.S. have shut down. Why? Because foreign meat is stealing their business and robbing you of the quality and flavor that you deserve. That is why Good Ranchers is here. They exist to support local American farms 
and help you make great American meals. Together, they want to restore the American ranch and your meals to their former glory. Get the beef, chicken, and seafood that can't be imported or matched at GoodRanchers.com. Good Ranchers is here to put America first at the dinner table and the farmers that worked to raise the meat. We eat really, really great stuff. I especially love their burgers. All their stuff is terrific. But me, their burgers, they're so juicy. They're so American. I just love them. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S right now. Get 10 free bistro filets. And in addition, if you subscribe, you will save $25 off of each subscription box of mouth-watering American meats for life. These boxes will show up on schedule right to your door. So you get 10 free bistro filets. That's a $100 value. Free express shipping and $25 off your monthly subscription for life at GoodRanchers.com slash Knowles. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout. 10 free bistro filets, 25 bucks off your monthly subscription for life. GoodRanchers.com slash Knowles. Also, if you've been worrying about what you're going to get your loved ones this Christmas, I've got excellent news for you. The Daily Wire merch store is here it is ready to be explored. Head on over to dailywire.com shop to check out the collection of Let's Go Brandon tailgate gear and so much more. Anyone can shop at the Daily Wire store, but only Daily Wire members will get special discounts up to 20% off. Members also receive access to shop exclusive merch like the Daily Wire, Leftist Tears, Tumblr. People have wanted to buy the Tumblr standalone for a very long time. That opportunity is now here. Head on over to dailywire.com shop. If you're not a member yet, sign up right now. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Enter code DW35 to get 35% off your membership. We'll be right back with a lot more. NBC, a writer for NBC and a former teacher, uh, says that you as a parent have absolutely no right to have a say in your kid's education. She writes, quote, parents have always tried to interfere with curricula, as I observed when teaching middle school in the mid-2000s. Even then, there was no shortage of parental input about the content of my instruction, from books to test questions. Part of the problem is that parents think that they have the right to control teaching and learning because their children are the ones being educated. But it actually, gasp, she writes gasp in, in parentheses, doesn't work that way. It's sort of like entering a surgical unit, thinking you can interfere with an operation simply because the patient is your child. So I'm going to pause it right there. A lot of conservatives are saying this is an imprecise analogy and it's crazy to compare educating to surgery, for instance. I actually think the, the analogy is okay. I think it's a pretty good analogy. But the fact is parents do have a say in their kids' medical decisions. <laughs> they do. I know that the left doesn't think they do anymore. The left is saying, we're going to jab your kid with the Fauci-ouchie regardless of what you want. We're going to trans your kid. We're going to take your little boy and chop him up and make him look like a little girl, regardless of what you want, because we know what's best. But actually, believe it or not, parents do have a say in surgery. And by the way, education is as formative, at least as formative as surgeries are. You are shaping the way that a child will view the world. You are shaping what a child thinks about what is true and false and right and wrong and good and bad when you educate them certainly when you educate them for 13 years or more. So yeah, it is, it is a lot like surgery. And the parents have a right over how their child is formed and these really, really important decisions that will shape their entire life. The woman goes on. She says, teaching too is a science. 
Unless they're licensed and certified, parents aren't qualified to make decisions about curricula. In fact, parental interference can actually hinder student advancement. An educator's primary goal is to teach students to think. Parents who attempt to influence curricula with their personal opinions, ideologies, and biases hinder that goal. An educator's goal is to teach students to think. What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? It's, it's, I think it's a similar version to we teach students how to think, not what to think. But of course, the educators are teaching students what to think. Here, here's, here's something. An educator's primary goal is to teach students to think. That is a what. That's not a how. That's a what. That's ideology. That's personal opinion. That's bias. That's the same thing that the educator is accusing the parents of doing. Kind of gets back to our point about scapegoating. For, for these teachers, for the left broadly, parents are the problem. They're the problem because the parents are trying to teach students something about the, the world. They're trying to form the way this, their students and children view the world. Of course, the same could be said of the, the educators. That, that's what they're doing. But they can't, the, the, the left, the educators can't see that. What they believe that what they're doing is totally just and right, and the other people are completely, totally wrong. If an educator like this kooky woman teaches a student that a boy can become a girl, then that educator is hindering the student's education because that educator is teaching the student something that isn't true. If the educator says that America was founded in 1619 and the central fact of America is slavery. That educator is hindering the student's education because the educator is teaching the student something that isn't true. And if a parent comes in and says, get that crap out of the classroom, the parent is helping the student's education because the parent is kicking away the things that are false and, and demanding that students be taught things that are true. And this is now a battle for the minds and souls of the next generation of Americans. And who's going to be better at that? Left-wing ideologue teachers or parents? The Democratic Party sent out a tweet just today, said that the number one occupation for Democrat donors in recent years is teachers. Exactly. Exactly. That's the problem. So if you want your kids to be taught the Democrat, leftist, liberal view of the world, an evil view of the world that is not true and it's not good and it's not beautiful, then we have to, well, let's let things be the way they are. Let's back off. Let's never question any of the teachers. Let's not show up to school boards. If you don't want your kids to turn out that way, then we need to politically get a little bit aggressive and we need to show up to school boards and we need to demand resignations and we need to demand that lunatic teachers like this woman, Christina Wyman, get fired, that they don't have a platform, that we cancel them. We need to cancel this. We need to cancel the bad books in the education. We need to cancel the stupid ideas in the education and we need to cancel the bad teachers and administrators and they need to be fired and they never should be allowed near students ever again. Okay, and are conservatives willing to say that? Are conservatives willing to do that? I think so. I think you're beginning to see a movement on the right that's, that's doing that. Ron DeSantis in Florida is doing that. A lot of candidates for Senate right now, Blake Masters, whom I just sat down with, he's, he's saying these sorts of things. J.D. Vance, Josh Mandel in Ohio, both running against one another, they're saying these sorts of things. That's what we got to do. Got to get 
much tougher. There's a shocking report out of a school in California. Abigail Schreier, who wrote Irreversible Damage, it's a book about how the culture is transing little girls and then they're regretting it and then that's not being reported on. It was a a book that was, I think it was canceled from Target. Then there was an uproar, it went back to Target. It's a very good book. Uh, Abigail Schreier revealed that at a late October meeting at a conference of California's largest teachers union, the California Teachers Association, CTA, documents show that teachers were encouraged to recruit students into LGBT clubs to urge them to, quote, have the courage to create a safe environment that fosters bravery to explore sexual orientation. And, quote, this is what one of the teachers reportedly said, quote, we're going to do just a little mind trick on our sixth graders. So recruiting 11-year-olds to explore their sexual orientation in clubs that, by the way, don't keep records. So this was another aspect of it. Uh, Lori Caldera, who's, who's a middle school teacher, a Buena Vista middle school teacher in California, an LGBTQ club leader, was heard on tape saying, quote, because we're not official, we have no club rosters, we keep no records. In fact, sometimes we don't really want to keep records because if parents get upset that their kids are coming, we're like, yeah, I don't know, maybe they came. You know, we would never want a kid to get in trouble for attending if their parents are upset. So these are teachers who are recruiting kids into these clubs, not keeping records of it, stonewalling the parents if the parents have any questions, and transing the freaking kids. (laughs) I I don't want to sound hyperbolic about it, I I don't, you know, I don't want to put on my Alex Jones voice, even though Alex Jones has been right about a number of things like the gay frogs, but, but we have record of this audio record documents being reported by a very serious, respected source, Abigail Schreier, that these teachers are trying to trans the kids. It's exactly what conservatives have been talking about. Schreier even went on, she said, Speakers went so far as to tout their surveillance of students' Google searches, internet activity, and hallway conversations in order to target sixth graders for personal invitations to LGBTQ clubs while actively concealing the club's membership roles from participants' parents. So this question, beyond the specific sexual questions raised, the extreme creepiness of this, the, the, I assume, illegality of some of this. I assume that the schools need to keep better records and are not allowed to stonewall parents this way. But beyond all of that, it actually comes down to a very simple, mundane question. Who has to, the right to raise your kids? For the last 20 or 30 years, and, and re- I guess really even a little before that, the right would say, just us, just the parents. It's just us. And what the left has said is, it takes a village, right? So meaning, that was Hillary Clinton's memoir title. So Hillary Clinton representing the left's view here would say actually parents have very few rights and it's all the society. Really, they mean the government. And the right would say, forget society, forget the government, it's all parents. And the real answer is it's, it's both. It is both. There's a reason that it takes a village to raise a child is an old idiom, is that it's true. And I'm not even saying this prescriptively. I'm not even saying it should be the case that it takes a village to raise a child. I'm just saying it does. Your kids are going, are going to be influenced by the village. That is inevitable. You can be the most protective helicopter parent you ever saw, and your kids are still going to be influenced by the neighbors, by the other kids that they meet in the neighborhood or at school if they're going to a school. They're going to be influenced by what they see on TV. They're going to be influenced by things they see on billboards that you can't 
lock them up in a little room forever. They are going to be influenced by society. And this is why it's not enough to just take the you do you laissez-faire hands-off approach to politics that, that a lot of conservatives demonstrating, I think, a lot of cowardice in recent decades have done. They've said, no, forget it. Whatever you want to do is fine as long as it doesn't affect me. Well, it does affect you. Even the private stuff, even the personal stuff, it does affect you because we live in society. That's, politics means the public stuff, right? That's all. Public and poli- political mean the same thing. And so it is going to affect you. And to some degree, your kid is going to be raised by the village. And to some degree, the kid is going to be raised by you. And it is up to us asserting our political rights to decide exactly what that balance is. If these lunatics at NBC and in the California teachers unions and in the Democratic Party have their way, the parents are going to have no rights whatsoever. And the village that raises the kids is going to be a radical leftist village that fills your kids' heads with insane racial and sexual views. You can't, we can't let them do that. And we need to recognize that because the village does have a say, we need to assert our political rights. Not just, you know, politics is downstream of culture. I'm just going to work on myself and look at the man in the mirror. You got to do that too. But you got to show up to that school board. You got to show up to the elections. You got to fire these bad teachers. You got to kick the pornography out of schools. You got to kick the 1619 project out of schools. But I repeat myself, frankly. So not, not quite obscene in the same way that pornography is, but it is obscenely anti-historical. It is obscenely anti-American. It's obscenely false. You've got to assert your political power. Speaking of political rights, there is a cop who got fired for donating to Kyle Rittenhouse. Lieutenant William Kelly from the Norfolk Police Department was fired because he made a $25 anonymous donation to Kyle Rittenhouse's legal defense. Was going to do it on GoFundMe. GoFundMe barred donations to Kyle Rittenhouse's legal defense because GoFundMe is a far left organization that targets conservatives. So then there was another one. It was Give, Send, Go is the more conservative version of it. This cop gives 25 bucks to this kid's legal defense. Hackers obtained Kelly's name and address, email address, gave it to The Guardian, a left-wing paper. The Guardian ran a story Kelly got fired because the police chief, Larry Boone, suggested that he lose his job. Larry Boone, the police chief, the Norfolk police chief, was a supporter of BLM. He attended a BLM protest fully uniformed last May. And he said, no, this this cop gave 25 bucks to Kyle Rittenhouse. He's got to be fired. And the city manager accepted that recommendation. Kyle Rittenhouse was, was vindicated. Kyle Rittenhouse did nothing wrong. The court of law determined that. He acted in self-defense. This man should never have been fired. Frankly, I think the police chief probably should have been fired for showing up to the BLM protest because BLM is a terrorist organization. What I would do, if I were a constituent, if I lived in Norfolk, Virginia, what I would do, I'd probably call up that Norfolk, Virginia police department. I would probably ask to speak to police chief Larry Boone And I would probably demand that he be reinstated. And furthermore, if I were a constituent in Norfolk, Virginia, I would probably demand that the police chief here, Larry Boone, lose his job. What I would demand is the opposite of what actually happened. Because the media narrative, we were told, is that Kyle Rittenhouse was a terrorist, domestic, violent, white supremacist, whatever stupid slogan you want to hear. And he killed peaceful protesters. and, And that isn't true. It turned out the opposite was true. And so instead of Lieutenant William Kelly losing his job and Larry Boone getting to laugh about it. I think probably the opposite should be true. 
I think police chief Larry Boone should lose his job. I think people ought to probably call that police department and demand the reinstatement of Lieutenant William Kelly. That's just what I would do if I were a constituent of Norfolk, Virginia. Though, though I, un, unlike my colleague Matt Walsh, I'm not a trans Virginian. The Kyle Rittenhouse case was so clear. After we saw the evidence, after the media narrative went away, it was so clear that even people on CNN are beginning to admit it. During the Tweedledee Tweedledum handoff between uh, Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon, these two fellas even managed to admit that the verdict was right. You know, you know you're going to have people saying if he was black, this would be different, right? Because we're dealing with systemic injustice right now. And even though this verdict, I believe, is justified by the law and the facts here, that's what we should want every time. Mm-hmm. People are frustrated that you wouldn't get it if he was black, even though this may be the right outcome. But at the same time you're doing that, you're going to have him be weaponized mm-hmm. by one of the most toxic people and outfits in our society? Well, so therefore, when um, that judge said this, when he, you know, dressed down the prosecution, prosecution did a lot of things wrong, right? I mean, this really rests. But they had a a hard case. They had a hard case, but they didn't do a good job even with a hard case. I mean, that's obvious to see. So it's mostly Chris Cuomo who's admitting that the verdict was right. And Don Lemon's trying not to, but Lemon is smart enough to realize that he can't make a good argument here. So he says, well, you know, yeah, it was just that prosecution, (sighs) that prosecution. And Chris Cuomo says, what about the prosecution? They had a hard case. Really, they had an impossible case. The best shot they had was to, to keep evidence from the defense and to, they called their best witnesses. All those witnesses ended up making the case for the defense, not the prosecution. You could have had the greatest lawyers in the world. All right, the two prosecutors in Kenosha, Blinken and, was that his name, Blinken or I don't even remember his name anymore, or uh, the one they called Lunchbox. Those two guys talk about Tweedledee, Tweedledum. They did not do a good job. They are not very good lawyers. But you could have had Alan Dershowitz and Johnny Cochran and Ken Starr and all the greatest lawyers in the country, and they still couldn't have made the case because the evidence wasn't there. That's the point Chris Cuomo was making. Now, why, why are these gentlemen on CNN making this point right now? Is it because they have integrity? Maybe. I don't want to say certainly that they don't have integrity. Cuomo and Lemon, both in earlier eras, have been more balanced than they are now. They're probably just getting a call from the head of CNN saying you got to be more leftist and and combative. Didn't Chris Cuomo, he got caught on that audio uh, just some months ago saying he hates his job and he (laughs) he feels like a hack and all this. So maybe it's that. I suspect the reason that they're coming out now and saying, oh, the verdict was probably right. And hey, you know, look, whatever, it's okay. It's all good. It's because they know that their network spent a lot of time spreading a lot of lies and slander and libel about Kyle Rittenhouse. That's not just CNN, it's NBC and the Washington Post and the New York Times and all of them. And I think they remember Nick Sandman. You remember Nick Sandman? He was that kid wearing the MAGA hat when the Native American lunatic started banging a drum in his face and the black supremacists were screaming slurs at them. And he smiled. And after smiling, all the media outlets called him a white supremacist and all that. I, do you remember what happened after that? Oh yeah, Nick Sandman shook them all down for a ton of money. 
We don't know the exact number because there were non-disclosures there, but Nick Salmon made a lot of money off those guys. And I think CNN is trying to cover its derriere. And I hope, oh, do I hope, that now that Kyle Rittenhouse has been exonerated, I hope he takes them to the cleaners. I hope that Kyle Rittenhouse becomes a trillionaire suing these dirtbag liberal journo outlets into the dirt. I hope that Kyle Rittenhouse and Nick Sandman have to split time owning these various outlets, like divorced parents. I hope it's like, okay, Kyle, you can have CNN on the weekends, but I, Nick, I want to have CNN during the week. And then maybe for the summers, I want it to be unambiguous. I I want these guys to lose a lot of money. Justice was served in the case. We've talked so much about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. I guess that's now coming to an end. We're going to move on to the next left-wing hoax. But just because justice was served, that's great. We've got to keep it up, okay? Just like you heard that, the BLM guy, he said, no, well, yeah, okay, he was exonerated at the state level. We want federal charges, right? The left never gives up. The left is really persistent. We've got to be persistent too. We won, we've got to take it further. Got to sue those media outlets into oblivion. What the left is trying to do in this country is delegitimize the opposition. This is a story, this actually came out a couple weeks ago, but it, I think it pertains to what's going on now. Mike Cernovich discovered this. The Washington Post was running an ad to promote the idea of January 6th, the insurrection. They're running an advertisement, an investigation by the Washington Post provides the richest understanding to date of Trump's mindset and the cost of his inaction as democracy came under attack. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, it's weird for a journalistic outlet to run ads on their stories. But, you know, every, everyone does that. We do that. Everybody does that. But it is weird to run ads on a story that doesn't really catch. Right? No one really believes the January 6th thing. The whole narrative is falling apart. We were told January 6th was a bunch of domestic terrorists who came in armed, who killed a cop, who were taking over the government. And then the more we've learned about it, the less and less it, se- it seems true. It, actually, almost every single thing we were told about that day was a lie. So the story has kind of fallen apart. In a normal world, that would be the end of the story and they'd move on to something else. But the left is so dead set on keeping this narrative that they've got to promote it. Just like the New York Times story on on the 1619 Project. The thesis of that was proven incorrect. The New York Times spent millions of dollars promoting it anyway because they have ideological goals as well. And the goal here is to not merely win a political battle. It's to utterly delegitimize the opposition such that any time they get any power or win at all, it is considered a threat to democracy, an existential threat to democracy, to the country, to the republic, to the constitution, and it must be done away with. Those are the stakes here. What kind of persistence is the right willing to engage? What kind of lawfare? What kind of electioneering? What kind of protest? What kind of legislating is is the right willing to do? The left, the left is playing for keeps. Are we willing to play for keeps too? I hope so. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. 
And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the jury in the Rittenhouse case gets it right while the media explodes in a blind rage. We'll talk about the fallout from the not guilty verdict today. And a man plows through a Christmas parade in Wisconsin, injuring dozens and killing many. Many aspects of this case make it inconvenient for the corporate media. We'll talk about those facts today. And Fauci officially recommends boosters for all people over 18. Plus, the fight for 15 movement has now become the fight for 25 movement. Who could have seen that coming? We'll talk about all that and much more today on the Matt Walsh Show.